it's not panzarotti, but my mind is only providing me with mm-hmm. panzarotti, which is not a sandwich. It's like a like a portable little mini calzone. But, yeah, it's just one of those shops yeah. that noon every day is just a line out the door, and yeah. it's amazing. It's <laughs> just, you know, so-and-so's panini place, and it's like, exactly. he's the best. Yeah. He's the yeah. best. <laughs> Honorable mention to when you take two slices of pizza, and you fold them, and then you can eat it a little more cleanly. <laughs> you don't Sometimes you got to be efficient. slice of pizza in, pizza in half, so it's a little, like easier to hold well topologically that's a taco and not a uh... shut up next question <laughs> i didn't tell you my sandwich hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the overly sarcastic podcast i am blue and as always i'm joined by red i did an eight hour stream yesterday so i'm drinking some truly disgusting tea to try and compensate i i Almost fell asleep where I sat earlier today. I've, I'm so tired. Uh, and we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, and before we get going into the uh, proper meat of the episode today, uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by World Anvil. World Anvil is a browser-based writing and world-building software designed to help you write and world-build as well as GM and play tabletop role-playing games, all while keeping your work organized and in one place. With over 25 article templates plus 45 supported game systems and the ability to make your own, World Anvil has all the tools you need to organize that world you've been building in your mind, and they've got adaptable wikis, interactive maps, custom timelines, and the Chronicle system, which combines the power of timelines and maps to plot out events across time and space and make everything come together beautifully. Beautifully in one web of interconnected information, making it easy to keep track of everything and write stuff. It's 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 good because once your world is sorted exactly how you like, you can use the powerful built-in word processor to write your prose with an easy reach of all your notes, so you don't have to go winging anything and making stuff up on the fly, breaking continuity. Or use your custom character sheets right in your tabletop games, so you can get lost in your character without getting lost in your spell slot section because ain't that a mess? Interested? Of course you are! And it only gets better because World Anvil is offering a special discount for all you lovely listeners. Just use code OverlySarcastic for up to 40% off any yearly membership. Thank you again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's podcast. And with that, let's transition over into uh, Mr. Rocco Butliere. Uh, Please uh, introduce yourself to our fans and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're super excited to have you here. Yeah, likewise. It's great to be here. So my name's Rocco and I basically make a living uh, designing and building, you know, one of a kind works basically all at the same scale, but all made of Lego bricks. And the subject matter is basically landmarks and landscapes from around the world. And uh, I guess I've been doing it for about 14 years now, got a degree in architecture, but skipped a desk job altogether. Just went straight into Lego art full time and uh, been making it work between exhibitions and uh, commissions and things like that. And basically my latest project, I guess the reason I'm, reason I'm here is just a ongoing effort to rebuild all of ancient Rome, to put it lightly. <laughs> that is, I cannot think of anything more exactly in Blue's Wheelhouse <laughs> than everything you just said. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, everyone in kind of like the, you know, the social circles and like the creator ecosystem that we, we have on our podcast is like, oh man, like the stuff you do is cool as hell. And when I found your your page on, on Instagram, I was just scrolling through and I'm like, 
I'm sorry, what? This is exactly <laughs> my jam. Can I have this job instead? I'll, I'll throw this, this YouTube shit behind me. Um, but it, your work is, is so immensely impressive. We're going to be able to talk about that a little bit later on um, mm. because there is just so much to get into with the prospect of rebuilding the city of Rome in Lego. Good God, what an undertaking. Um, but to, to start us off, uh, Red, uh, take, us, uh, take us out of this, this prison of a podcast that we find ourselves in. Break us out. How are we going to do that? Oh, gee. Yeah, this is good because I can get my thing out of the way and then we can just talk about only Rome for the rest of this entire pod. Um, Sequester the entire back 45 minutes of the pod for Rome bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is the quarantine thread. Uh, yes, yeah, so my video in the last couple of weeks was a trope talk on the subject of prison breaks, uh, which was fun. Uh, I don't often uh, do trope talks about like stock episode plots, as it were. Like, I, I tend to focus um, a little bit more on characters uh, or character arcs. But in this case, I was just like, no, there's something here, and I want to talk about it. And the fact that I get to rewatch, like, an entire season of Leverage to prep is just icing on this particular <laughs> cake. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. I'd, I'd have more to say, but my brain is running at about, like, 40%. Uh, operating capacity. Yeah, no, that's fair. Let's let's see where I can uh, or I can make myself useful here. Um, in my defense, we just did like the the aforementioned eight hour stream yesterday for charity was like absolutely everything that my brain could think about for the two days leading up to it and for the day afterwards. Yeah, apparently, no, so. for sure, um, turbo wiped. But what I what I liked about this episode was, I mean, to your point, it was different in that it was covering a stock episode type rather mm -hmm. than a character archetype or like a a story quirk of the medium um which like the uh the those dang phones episodes is like this this isn't a stock episode type this is just like why is writing like this um but i i thought it was interesting to get into the like thematic mechanics of mm. how these episodes work where it's it's not just okay, like, what shenanigans can we do to get ourselves out of this prison break? And if you have that, that's that's fine. But it's also often asking the question of, like, what do the characters do and how do they react when they are in a, a bound situation? It's also kind of the same mm -hmm. appeal of, like, a bottle episode where it's just like, well, we have these characters and no budget for this episode, so let's just, like, throw them in a box and see how they get on when you, yeah. when you push them to the absolute limits and you're basically left with only the characters and nothing else happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I liked your point of, like, you can have a good prison break, you know, sequence that's good because of the, the the fun shenanigans and the gimmicks and stuff, or you can really lean into the character drama of like, what is it like being stuck in this situation for these characters and how do they react? How do they push back? What do they deal with really well? What makes them just fucking lose it? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I liked how you were able to kind of go past the first line of like, oh, haha, -ha, like, you know, Blow up the prison or whatever it's called. I I said I I, I break, said the, I break prison. the prison. That, yeah. What's that from? That was... What what is that from? It's not from. It's kind of a. There's like a joke in D and D spaces, which is like I didn't ask how big the room is. I said I cast fireball, ah. uh, and that was kind of what I was drawing on for that <laughs> specific. It. But it was kind of like you know you got the stories where it's like it's the great escape, and you get the stories where it's like oh it's like a it's it's the great prison reform heist where we swap out the bad guy warden for a good guy warden, but completely do not address the underlying complex. And then there's the ones where it's like actually fuck it. Let's just blow this whole thing wide open. And I was like, I got to address that because that's kind of a big deal in, in these stories. It's about as big as these kinds of prison break stories can get. Yeah. Um, although, <laughs> so this is a, I, 
a while back, I realized that I, I do not need to go through and put in absolutely every example I can think of in a given trope talk, and I don't need to go out of my way to, like, like if there's a story that I know does a trope, I don't need to go through the entire thing to include it in the video when I can just include other things. This is me subtweeting One Piece because I know there's a prison break in One Piece. The comments are full of people talking about it, but I didn't need to put it in the video because you guys just put it in the comments anyway. My machinations lay undetected. Um, anyway, yes, I've heard it's quite good, but, you know, it's, yeah. I didn't need to watch all of One Piece. I could just make this video and then you guys could just tell me about it. Um, no, exactly. I, yeah. I, I will say I, I did feel seen uh, when you put in the prison break from the beginning of Mission Impossible 4, oh, which is yes. a prime example of like, there is no mechanical complexity to that prison break whatsoever. It's just like Benji clicks the open the doors button and the door is open. There's no yeah. challenge to overcome. The whole point of the sequence is Ethan Hunt is like, I want to go get this guy out. Let yes. me into this part of the prison where there's this giant fight and Benji's like, like, no, I'm not letting you in. And and Tom Cruise can't hear it, but he's just like staring at the security yep. cameras like, Benji, I know you see me. Open the door. And Benji's like, no. And that Tom just like sits there movie. for like a minute and Benji's like, fine. And he <laughs> opens it. And that's just all character beats. And I love that sequence so much. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's one of the cases where like the prison is bog standard, incredibly basic stuff. And the prison break part isn't complicated. Uh, but it's just the plot that it can facilitate is uh, is just a good time. Just a fun Fun story. Uh, but yeah, that about covers me. Let's go into the Rome Zone and never leave. Let's go into the Rome Zone. Yay. You, uh, hello, audience. You are now stuck in the Rome Zone. This is an unbreakable prison. You cannot yeah. escape whatsoever. <laughs> um, uh, my episode uh, last week was The Birth of Rome. I, uh, I, I scooched around the title a little bit, uh, and it didn't make any difference on the SEO. So that was an experiment that I'm glad I did. Uh, and now I know I don't have to play that game, because sometimes like people change the thumbnail a bunch, they change the title a bunch, and I was yeah. like, should I... Should I do this? And I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I can change it to Birth of Rome. And I'm like, I'll see what this does. And it didn't do anything good or bad. And that's useful information. It'll peek behind the curtain for you. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to do this video for a while because in my earlier Rome shenaniganery, I basically said, according to Roman legend, the founding went like this. Aeneas showed up and then, you know, Romulus and Remus and then eh, seven kings kick one of them in the ass, hey, we got a republic. Um, and a couple of the comments are like, well, I mean, yeah, that's the Roman legend, but like, that's obviously not what happened. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, but we kind of can't really know what happened. So I have to take Rome with their word. And that kind of planted a seed in my head for many, many years later of like, what if I actually unpack why we can't really know what happened and why we have to take Rome at their word and which Romans specifically were taking at their word, which was essentially the uh, the premise for this, this video where it's like, okay, we got Aeneas, we got Romulus, we got, you know, founding the Republic in 509, and then a bunch of other made-up shit in the middle to make those time points work. <laughs> oh, boy. So, one of the things that I... Um, I, I realized as I was researching was like the kings of Alba Longa, which were be between Aeneas and Romulus, was like, I knew that it was like, kind of like, a okay, well, I guess we have to have these guys here. And it's like, you learn about the seven kings of Rome in your like ancient history class. And then it's like, wait, what do you mean there's a second line of kings? This seems completely unnecessary. And it is completely unnecessary uh, because some guy, um, Dionysius of Halicarnassus was like, some people say that Aeneas is Romulus' grandfather, and that doesn't really work time-wise, because either that means Aeneas was born in the 800s, 
and we have to admit the Trojan War was in the 800s and that doesn't work. Or if we're like willing to go with the Trojan War being in the 1200s, that means that Romulus had to have been also born in like the Bronze Age and that doesn't work. So maybe we just let these two guys be 500 years apart and we just make up a line of kings in between them. And in researching like how that happened, um, I kind of stumbled into the the narrative of this guy Dionysus Halicarnassus with basically writing all of the kings of Alba Longa to be like, okay, so there is a king named Aventinus, there is a king named Agrippa, there's a king named Silvus, there's a king named uh, Attis. So like all these famous Roman families, specifically in the orbit of Augustus, are like placed into this story and that becomes useful for when Augustus is building and Rocco you can you can help me out on this one when Augustus is building his whole forum and he's like ah yes mm -hmm. I will have two huge statue colonnades or statue galleries with like famous Romans on one side and the Alban kings on the other and they both lead to me being awesome oh, yeah. and how that narrative is is basically <laughs> created to serve the Augustan propaganda program <laughs> I don't want to derail. It's just, it's funny to me when you were just like laying out the problem solving of like, okay, either this was in the 800s or the 1200s and neither of these quite work with the timeline is like, this might help explain why in a lot of stories it's like, yes, in the old days, people regularly lived for like 700 years. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> shame how we keep dying so young these days. Crazy how that happens. Anyway, it certainly yeah. solves a lot of problems. Or like how Athens has four different founder kings and completely Ugh. does not care to choose which one of them is actually the real one. No, of course not. <laughs> yeah. So I and that was a whole like section of the the research process that just didn't really fit into a video because getting into the like Augustan angle of like how all these stories kind of like consolidated together during the time of Augustus when it behooved him to tie himself inextricably to the narrative of Rome's creation was like this is really interesting and there's a lot of stuff here but like in the in the way I'm telling this narrative it was too much of a leap to to have made sense I think it would have thrown off the uh the flow of the story, so I had to make um, a, make a storytelling concession there, but I, I wanted to be able to, to to talk about it here on 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 the podcast. But um, yeah, that's why. Um, and I guess to to transition to um, to to your work, Rocco. That's why I was really excited. Um, on your Patreon, you you posted uh, the design insights for the Forum of Augustus, mm -hmm. um, in your your phase two of SPQR. Uh, and I was kind of like reading along that as I was putting together this video. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Now yeah. I see how it all comes together. But um, uh, to turn over the floor to you, um, what exactly is the uh, the, the premise of, of SPQR uh, for our audience? Because I've been following on the Instagram and everything, so I'm, I'm way in this stuff. But uh, for the audience, what uh, is the, uh, the, the current project that you are engaged in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess I'll get the personal part out of the way first is obviously, like I said, I've been doing this in terms of uh, making a living off exhibitions for quite a while now. And the goal is to eventually move on from sort of weekend exhibitions where, you know, you set it up, but it's only on display for a couple of days, which I'm grateful to be a part of. And we kind of do at least a, I do a dozen or so shows with a company called Brick Universe across the U.S. So the idea is that... Uh, you know, building SPQR over the course of several years is going to eventually get to the point where this will be an enormous landscape, roughly mid fourth century CE, where you'd have um, it's pretty much a guarantee there will be at least a million bricks and roughly 20 by 25 feet at least. Gosh. And uh, 
So it's a bit of an ungainly beast, but that's the first part is sort of the anchor or the centerpiece of what would be longer term exhibitions going forward. And then the second part is, you know, taking what I've learned from those weekend exhibitions where, you know, you get to show it, go to different areas that haven't had events like this before and are sort of outside the major cities. And you get to talk to thousands of folks in a single weekend and, you know, having shown them for so many years, modern pieces, different skyscrapers, landmarks from around the world, I guess things that they could look at pictures of today, it's really cool for them to be able to see that and all done to the same scale. But then, you know, up until just about four or five years ago, I had never done any historical piece that isn't currently around or, um, or something that might currently be around like the Coliseum, but is actually in a ruined state and you're yeah. trying to show it in its pristine, you know, original provenance with all the colors. So the second part of the idea is just to be able to express that and sort of showcase that impossible moment in time because the Romans would have never been able to view it from overhead. And mm -hmm. certainly as far as we know, never had a three-dimensional model. Um, the closest they ever got was the Forma Urbis, um, a two-dimensional map on a wall that we only have fragments of. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that leaves it open to interpretation. So you definitely want to use the best sources you can in reconstructing, but at the end of the day, there is a limit having to do with the scale I'm working at and then the added limit of having to, you know, not necessarily limit myself, but the choice to use Lego bricks, just because I think in terms of contemporary art, it's the least disconnected, probably the strongest connection to the individual person where anyone can look at it and they'll find thousands of different moments in it, like parts they've used on their own at some point in some kit um, throughout the entire historical production of like parts and sets that Lego has offered. So anyone who's coming into it at any point in their lives would have something else or something different to look at, whether or not you're even remotely interested in classical history. Yeah. I, I mean, even as I was first stumbling onto your page, I was like, oh, I've used those pieces before. I didn't know they mm -hmm. could be used in that way, but like, oh, I see how it works. I mean, the artist yeah. Ai Weiwei has been doing a huge like set of, of Lego exhibitions for the past several years because he's like, oh, like the shit rules. This is a great medium, actually. Yeah. Um, so it's it's such a fascinating choice, not just to like try and, and, and recreate the entirety of, of fourth century Roman Lego, but to, or to, to recreate the entirety of fourth century Rome, but to, to specifically do it in the medium of Lego, I think makes it a little bit more like understandable in a way. Yeah. It's basically mm -hmm. what you were just saying. Um, but it, it's yeah, such it, an impossible thing to, to wrap your head around. I mean, I've been studying this for however long I've looked at pictures mm -hmm. and recreations and I'm like, even still, I'm like, where, where within the actual city is all this stuff now? And I still don't like what's yep. next to this and what's next to that. And like, mm. I couldn't tell you in Rome where the form of Augustus is right now. If I was walking somewhere and standing on it, I wouldn't know. But seeing the whole thing together in this kind of diorama form and then specifically in Lego really makes it feel more real than any singular illustration or detached, you know, like micro model of like, oh, here's like just a little mm -hmm. model of the Colosseum ever could, which is what I, I think is so so interesting uh, about your work yeah. from, from just my perspective and experience. Sure. So, yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely an a advantage in terms of legibility, like you can sort of understand the distinct complexes, not just in terms of, you know, spatial uh, tectonics and things like that, but 
also the fact that Lego has this wide variety of colors, right? So mm. you can clearly start to make choices like, okay, I'm going to use white for the travertine and the marble. So that implies an imperial edifice without even having to necessarily explain that. Like you can tell that there's extra, um, they went all out in designing and the material treatment of these structures. But then at the same time, it's like the more research you do, you find out marble is not just in white. And that's that may sound obvious, but a lot of people don't realize that. And then mm -hmm. you got to look at things like porphyry that are extinct or whatever the geological term is for yeah. <laughs> something that we can't get anymore because the mines we have are exhausted. But uh, yeah, it, it gets really interesting to layer the tectonics on top of the color and or vice versa and it's it's quite a quite a process in terms of research and i guess on that note um for those who haven't been following along yet um phase one of this project basically incorporates roughly a hundred thousand bricks i think around eight million square feet of the ancient city Damn. so it starts starts at the lowest elevation because I like to start at the bottom and go up. So mm -hmm. that's at the Tiber River, specifically the island, mm -hmm. incorporates all of the Capitoline and Palatine Hills and the Circus Maximus, and then cuts up around to the, the Temple of Claudius and the Colosseum and obviously the Forum. So then phase two, which I'm working on now, is basically going um, north of that in either direction um basically at an angle um so incorporating all of the imperial fora like the forum of augustus that you mentioned yeah and then uh parts of the quirinal and Esquiline hill um including the baths of trajan baths of constantine yeah. things like that Ooh. those are huge <laughs> yeah. i'm interested I have, to see how those ones shape up i just like logistically i'm curious how exactly you like so in my head i'm thinking like it must be subdivided into like base mm -hmm. plates of like a more manageable size. And then those are kind of modular. Like you can move those around and rearrange them. Yeah. That, so that, that is something like how it works. Yeah, definitely. I've, okay. so uh, I've, I've recorded that process a couple times Ooh. and, you know, spliced it up into a nice little reel on Instagram, but there are a couple of those floating around on there gotcha. um, that anyone can check out. But it is a very uh, logistical process because the idea is for it to go door to door, right? It's not right. going to be like the the model that Mussolini commissioned Gizmondi to create. And then they may, I, I kind of see it as a mistake in my mind that they sold it to someone because then it ends up in a museum that yeah. gets closed permanently in 2014. Aww. So that's not the intention here, but yeah, in terms of the logistics, it is designed to move around at every point. So phase one is about 16 subsections, I want to say. And, uh, you know, the largest being part of the Palatine Hill, which is about 16,000 bricks. The smallest being maybe around 600, which has just maybe one temple on it or so. And all of those just fit one. together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all those fit together like a uh, giant puzzle and they all get put inside a custom flight case, basically the size of a fridge on wheels. And that gets loaded onto the Brick Universe truck for uh, um, to go be shipped to each exhibition. And uh, you just open that thing up and take out the shelves and then start uh, setting it up. It takes about 20, minute, 20 minutes at each show, but uh, Rome was definitely not built in a day and took probably about 90 days to build it and then um, wow. Prior to that, spent about eight months researching and designing it, and the design process does happen digitally, um, I should mention as well. Mm. Yeah. So um, for people who want to uh, 
see more of your work as we're getting into the plugs and then the Q&A section. Um, mm -hmm. Where would be the best places uh, for people to find your work? I know you've got a uh, YouTube page and Instagram and also a really great Patreon, which is part of how we made the, uh, the professional connection because I independently yeah, yeah, was yeah. like, oh, this shit rules. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to support this on Patreon. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. And yeah, you've been one of the most active users on there. So that's awesome. But uh uh, yeah, so Instagram and Patreon, I guess, are the two that I post on most often. And like you said, there's also YouTube, but Patreon definitely, especially the top tier. The One of the privileges that comes with that, besides getting included access to my three times a year custom kits that you can't get anywhere else, um, besides those, you also have the design insights, which at this point, while I'm working on the digital design for phase two, are pretty much on a weekly basis. And uh, when I say insights, these aren't just like quick little snippets like the reels on Instagram. You know, I'm generally opposed to the idea of content for its own sake. So I, you know, just in general, prefer the <laughs> yeah. word insights because yeah. that these kind of get very comprehensive. And uh, I think the one pertaining to the Coliseum specifically, I have made free and uh, that you can find on my Patreon for the public to see. But that one in particular is. I don't know, probably verging on 1,500 to 2,000 words along with at least uh, 20 to 30 screenshots of the digital design process as well as looks at my other, you know, textbook references and things like that. So it explains all the all the things you could possibly want to know about what's going on in my, on my, in my mind with the Lego bricks as I'm designing it, but then also translating the real information to the page. And it's a very uh, comprehensive... Yeah. Look cool. at it, I suppose. They're really cool. And just the level of detail, not just about the design itself, but also the mm -hmm. the real, you know, things that you are recreating in the medium is is super cool. It's a mini architectural history of Rome, so I, I absolutely oh, yeah. adore it. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, that is where you can find more of Rocco's work. Um, on our end of things, a uh, fun special announcement is that uh, Friday, uh, after this episode goes up, beginning of September, we are mm -hmm. launching a new merchandise store. Uh, our friends at Crowdmate are helping us put together a brand new uh, fancy little website uh, where we've got um, stickers, apparel, mugs, um, and also the home of our pins. Um, mm -hmm. Overly sarcastic shop, fun new domain name, all our own. Uh, yeah. And this will be the new main place where uh, everything is. Um, our permanent, you know, in stock, on demand stuff, uh, and then our special other additional things such as pins. And then also, um, I'm announcing it now because this will go up before the next uh, the next podcast. But uh, our first plushes that we're ever doing. Uh, oh. coinciding with a video release on September 8th. I will not spoil what it is. Um, if you're <laughs> listening to it afterwards, then you know. Um, but uh, we got a fun new line of our first plushes coming out, which is very, very exciting. Um, very for experimental. The launch, tell us if you like them. Tell us if you like them. Buy them if you like them. Um, oh, yes, uh, for the launch, uh, there is 20% off across the board, except for the plushes, because that has its own separate discount. Um, right. And the math got weird. 20% um, off everything in the store to launch. Uh, and then... Um, we will, uh, after the opening sale stops, we've got a special 15% uh, off code for all of our patrons that will work forever. Uh, and then that will, will activate afterwards. So um, everyone jump in uh, and get some stuff for 20% off at the start. And then if you're a patron, you can have a permanent discount to enjoy forever. So mm -hmm. good stuff, super excited. The website looks great. I'm, I'm really jazzed with how it turned out. So I hope you all like it as well. Um, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of back end work to make this happen, but I, I hope that you all enjoy it. Um, and with that, we can hop on over to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Sweet. 
Today's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast is brought to you by World Anvil. World Anvil is a browser-based writing and world-building software designed to help you write and world-build as well as GM and play tabletop role-playing games, all while keeping your work organized and in one space. With over 25 article templates, plus 45 supported game systems, and the ability to make your own, World Anvil has all the tools you need to organize that world you've been building in your mind. They've got adaptable wikis, interactive maps, custom timelines, and the Chronicle system, which combines the beautiful organizational power of timelines and maps to plot out events across time and space. Great for writers and GMs alike. Once your world is sorted exactly how you like, you can use the powerful built-in word processor to write your prose within easy reach of all your notes, or use your custom character sheets right in your tabletop game so you can get lost in your character without losing track of items or spells. Interested? Of course you are! And it only gets better because World Anvil is offering a special discount for all you lovely listeners. Just use code OVERLYSARCASTIC for up to 40% off any yearly membership. Thank you again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. Normally, this first question would come from a patron, but because this is the 75th episode of the podcast, it's Ooh. actually time for the return of everyone's favorite and only bit, the lightning round. This is where the applause will be inserted. Yes, thank you, Blue. It's the only segment, I guess, would be a more accurate description. So, we are going to run through, real quick, just as a refresher, uh, a list of media properties, authors, etc. that y'all have submitted over the many, many days. So, uh, just to see what the crew's seen, watched, read, etc. We're going to be doing real quick rapid fire. Have you seen it? Yes or no answers um, as much as possible. We're just going to be running through real quick. I got the list ready to go. So if y'all ready, let's uh, kick this bad boy off. Coming up first with The Expanse, which I believe is both a book and a TV show. No. I have not. I've heard about it. Watched that during COVID. Oh, oh did you fun. like it? Yeah, it was pretty good. Nice. A little, little slow in the middle, but improved. You know, the, the front and the back are, are pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I sized up the joke <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Now <laughs> I'll let her have always, it. <laughs> you can always trust me to bat at the low-hanging fruit. The lightning right. round continues. Next up is Dead End Paranormal Park. No, but I've heard of it. I have not. <laughs> no. The name sounds familiar. Uh, Durara. Durara? Durara? There's like, no. there's like three A's and three R's all in a row. Some bo-bo-bo-bo-bo-bo-bo kind of thing. Kind of. It is definitely an anime. It just sounds confusing to me. Yeah, Yeah, so the answer is no. Uh, Megamind? Oh, obviously. (laughs) Only the memes. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Oh, guys, it's so fun. Uh, War Horse, also a movie? No. That's the World War One horse, right? Where, I like, think I had to tank. watch that in middle school. It's like a history <laughs> yeah. class end of year what? situation. I don't, I don't remember any detail about we it. Watched it's a lot long. of movies in public school. <laughs> it's really long. That's all I've got on that one. Horse movies are always so goddamn long. What's up with that? <laughs> You'd think they'd be yeah, faster because you know horse one. racing fa- is a race, but yeah, I guess not. aren't built for endurance. <laughs> uh, Wayne Family Adventures, a webtoon. No, I've heard it's cute. Uh, it's it was like it's like ascended fan content. Like it started yeah. off as like a fan art thing, and then they were like, "Hey, do you want to just make this for us for DC?" Uh, and it's just like all the cute family like fluff stuff that they don't have time to do in regular DC comics because oh, they're too busy breaking their own universe every five years. Yeah. Uh, Jim Henson's The Storyteller. I think that's like the only Jim Henson thing I've never watched, uh, but my parents have, and they say it's good. I have not. Nope. nope. Guilty Gear. Oh. Nope. Oh, nope. Man, nope. 
No, I um, I I played it once uh, at a Gen Con. I entered into a tournament as like an eleven-year-old, and I won the first round. And the person I beat was really mad about it because <laughs> I played Soul Bad Guy because he looked cool and his name was Bad Guy. And I'm like, I want this one. I want this one. And then I got my ass beat with a special move in the second round. There's just no winning against an eleven-year-old who's no. just really excited to be there. Like no way. There's no way to play that good. Yeah. Uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance. Nope. Nope. Lego Marvel superheroes. No. <laughs> no. No, actually no. <laughs> Played a bit of like Lego Harry Potter growing up, but Yeah, that was Harry Potter's our house. Yeah. Uh Ava's Demon. No, uh that's no. another okay. webcomic that I've heard about. The art's beautiful, I just never read it. I have not heard of it. Danny Phantom. I Obviously. loved that show growing up. Yeah, that was dude. my Hell shit. Yeah. <laughs> heard of that one, did not have cable uh, at that gotcha. age. Yeah. It's one of those shows where it's like, oh, I remember this so fondly. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, I forgot about a lot of this. <laughs> this is way darker than I thought it was. Well, it's more like, wow, like, they really just did that and then just moved on without explanation, huh? It's a kid show. It doesn't need to be like the most in-depth exploration. You gotta punch, punch a ghost. It's fun. Uh, next up, Red, please don't get mad about this. One Piece. <laughs> no. Ow. I swear it's random. No, <laughs> no the answer is no. Well, the answer is technically I tried, but it was when four kids was still dubbing it. So, you know. Yeah, I've, this was a big one for me in my middle school anime phase. So I was current with it up to Fishman Island. And ever since then, I've occasionally rewatched up to like Annie's Lobby. But I would not consider myself a, a diehard fan or familiar with any of the recent stuff because there are hundreds of hours in between where I stopped and where it is now. <laughs> I understood some of those words. Uh, Ghost Trick Phantom Detective. That sounds nope. familiar, but no, no, it's a game, right? I think it's huh? yeah. <laughs> uh, Outlander. And we got their yes. Scottish. <laughs> we got someone. I've seen yeah. up through, I, I don't even know which one they're on now, but probably one or two previously. That's as far as I got. Gotcha. Just for no particular reason. Just haven't gotten back into it. Yeah. Which one's Outlander and which one's Highlander? I always get that. Confused. Highlander has the Highlander is the immortal Scotsman and they have to yeah. cut off each other. And Clancy Brown is there. Yeah, uh, and so okay. is Sean Connery. Yeah. Highlander's Outlander like the... is the one with the stone circles. They go back through time. And... Okay, so that one of them is immortal. That could also be And one of them is time okay. travel. So yeah. you see how I get them confused. <laughs> also, <laughs> Outlander's more like romance-focused is my understanding if you're going to compare the two head-to-head. Yeah. -head. Got it. Definitely. Uh, if, if uh, like suburban mom is watching one it's probably outlander and if a dad is <laughs> and if any given dad is like this is the best movie ever it's probably Highlander. highlander does slap whole original soundtrack by queen hell yeah i'm not oh. saying it's a bad movie i'm just saying it's a typecast that that's the definition it's fair it's fair uh the room movie not to uh, be confused with room which is actually a good well-made movie. That's not the Brie Larson one? No, this no, is the this is Tommy, the Tommy Wiseau. Wiseau one. Uh, and mm. the answer is no. I, I've i seen a majority of The Room by way of The Disaster Artist, um, which I also didn't like. <laughs> uh, I've seen The Room, and I also edited Dominic Noble's videos on both The Room's uh, yeah. April Fool's one and The Disaster Artist. It didn't get better scrolling through individually. <laughs> 
Fun fact, uh, for Dominic Noble's April Fool's The Room video, uh, he invented a fake author who wrote the the book that The Room was based on, and it's me with Photoshop glasses and a beard. Yeah. <laughs> also, fun fact about that video, one of the only pieces of genuine animation I've ever done is in the background shot. I had to make Tommy Wiseau fly through the sky. That is not a shot that exists in the movie. <laughs> um, next up is Project Moon. No, 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 I don't know what that is. I don't know. Uh, Library of Runia. Also no. No idea. Lobotomy of Corporation. <laughs> also no. I, I want to Google that one. Hold on. Uh, while you do that, uh, Dragon's Dogma. Also no. All of uh, these nope. sound like spells. They're very <laughs> obscure. That's the Lobotomy that's Corporation, the game that the Baldur's Gate people made. I think. No, no, that's not right. No, hold on. Okay, Lobotomy That's Corporation is an indie thing. horror roguelite strategy management simulation video game from Microsoft Windows. And it's developed by, oh, I think those were, it's developed by South Korean studio Project Moon. So I think those two were combined Potent- into one potentially. thing. Yeah. I pull everything individually. If you're going to submit lightning round questions, please at least separate them with a comma. Thank you. Uh, and no, what I mean l- is, like, Project Moon is the development studio that made Lobotomy Corporation. So sure, I, I just mean when I put it into a document, I might have right. typed them in as individual things because it was unclear in the question. <laughs> I'm not n- not blaming anybody. <laughs> just wanted to clarify. Um, all right. The last one for this lightning round is going to be the Kid Cosmic. No. Nope. Kid Cosmic. I've never... Yes, Google no. it. Tell me what it is. <laughs> this is a new tv show oh huh. it it looks very like late stage cartoon networky I and mean, it looks it looks neat but like it's got that kind of you know how, like all animation nowadays that's like like oh, broad appeal yeah. is like one of three mm. animation styles it's like you're basically operating on like your family guy style your rick and morty style or your like steven um universe like style. adventure time steven universe kind of like art style yeah i see what you mean but yes no we have yeah. not anyway this. Other questions. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> All right. Now that we've wrapped up that lightning round, we are moving right on along into the uh, continued questions of the Q&A portion of the podcast. This first one coming from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. Uh, this question comes from Josie Beller. To all, if you could have one fictional vehicle made real and in your possession in real life, which one would you choose? So you can have any vehicle, it will function, and you get to drive it, ride it, whatever. What is it going to be? Any Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> Except maybe the one in Witch from Mercury that kills you. Any other Gundam. <laughs> I, I've been watching uh, some Tears of the Kingdom speedruns, so yeah. I would love that like two-fan hover bike hmm. that people make, just because it seems so simple <laughs> and so <laughs> so mobile. <laughs> This one's hard because I don't even have a car at the moment. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I feel like I should say something like a Roman chariot, but count me out with that because that, that shit was too dangerous. Yeah, oh, yeah. horse maintenance too. I mean, no I can't imagine that's a no lot shot. going on. Right. Yeah. Um, Quadra I mean, goes I... better in bronze than in practice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can be basic on main and say the Mach 5. The Mach 6 does also exist. Um, but I do think the... Uh, I know it's kind of just a motorcycle, but it looks cool. The bike from Akira. I think I might be. I might go for that. Just for Pretty the aesthetic. Sweet. I can get a matching red jacket. Are you kidding? I'd look great. Just to <laughs> clarify, the Mach 5 slash Mach 6 
That's from Speed Racer, right? Yeah, 100%. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. It's I the just car that he drives. It's got buttons. You can do the jump jacks. All that stuff. Brandon Sanderson's favorite movie, Speed Racer. Vindication. Every, every, everyone except for Red, who I've shown this movie to, has ended up loving. <laughs> that cannot possibly be right. It's true. <laughs> I've never missed with it except with you. You are the outlier. Sorry? <laughs> Red, that makes you the bad boy of this podcast. How do you feel about that? Honestly, pretty good. <laughs> okay. Honestly, I'm okay with this now. Uh, uh, all right. All right. Well, next up, we got a question from, oh, boy, Mr. Nixon. I think it's supposed to be Nixon. Mr. Nixon, the Tolkien straight dude. Um, to Rocco and others, if they wish to answer, what advice mm-hmm. would you give to someone who wants to improve their Lego building and sorting? What's been your favorite part of this journey? So kind of a two-parter here. Uh, advice yeah. for others looking to build and uh, favorite favorite part of you getting into your, your Lego exploits as well. Mm-hmm. On the sorting aspect, I usually just say you got to know what you love to build uh, first off. And that's kind of counter to what most people, like if you meet a Lego designer, they might tell you, you got to just get used to building the stuff you hate and then sort of, you know, keep, exploring every possibility but i think if you find something you really like like the answers in terms of logistics have come at least for me they have like so if you're going to sort parts by color or type and things like that um and then the second part i guess most rewarding aspect was it yeah what's uh something that's been a, a cool part of your journey um i think honestly one of the best parts is just meeting kids who are probably just starting out because that's how I started out, which, you know, may sound pretty cliche, but like I started by going to different shows and seeing what other people had built. And that sort of inspires you to get to learn and want to apply those things on your own. And uh, it it's just pretty impactful to have been on the giving end of that after having received it in the first place. Uh, so that's very cool. Full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, um, my first foray into designing anything on my own uh, came when I was taking a intensive ancient Greek class one summer, having the absolute worst time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the, the one solace <laughs> I had was trying to build a very, like, crappy little, like, you know, yay big, like, you know, hand-sized um, uh, base plate uh, for the Duomo in Florence. Trying to figure out how to do a, a dome with very rudimentary parts was hard. Um, but uh, that was uh, something that I found solace in because I could basically treat it as a problem and like sketch it out and work at it over you know many hours, many classes, uh, many, many bad times. Um, and then being able to kind of like revisit it uh, a handful of years later when I had the, the idea for like, what would the Duomo have looked like? if Brunelleschi like went full neoclassical on it and like, you know, (laughs) talked to Palladio in the future was like, help me out. I want to do some bullshit here. Um, And I was like, well, I can't draw that because I can't do that kind of art, but maybe I can build it. And then I just Mm. played around with it for a few months and eventually was able to, to come up with an interpretation of a a neoclassical version of the Duomo and kind of like seeing it as, the first part of it was like, oh, you know, here's just something to to, to save me uh, while I'm in a, a bad situation. Um, and the second time was like, let's let's do something fun. Let's let's challenge ourselves. It might not work, um, but it might 
turn out actually kind of interesting as a thought experiment and then is actually like building it in real life afterwards. Um, So for for me, um, it was much more of like a a casual background hobby kind of thing. Um, Those are essentially the only two things I've ever like ordered parts for and built myself. Um, But it was... uh, it was a, a very different angle um, on it uh, for me, much more of just like a casual thing, but something that I I, I found a surprising amount of, of satisfaction for, given it was just kind of like a, well, this, this could be fun. Um, yeah. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Cool. This next question comes from a random smart Alec. What do you consider the best form of sandwich? Form of sandwich? Hmm. I think it's just, what's a good sandwich? You know, what's your best sandwich? No, I think we're going into cladistics here. I think, I think we're, I what, what's the best get subspecies so irrationally upset if you make me get into cladistics about food on this podcast. Is, are, are we doing cube theory of sandwich? No. I suppose, cube no. theory is the most widely accepted currently. Yeah. Uh, um, I, sandwich. I really like... Um, I don't often have, like, beef in my diet, but I make an exception for this one sandwich place near me that does a really good roast beef sandwich mm. with, with mm. Some, some very interesting, like, spices and stuff they put on it. Um, so I, I – that one. That one yeah. sandwich from that one guy down the block from me. <laughs> yeah, classic, like, roast beef or, like, pastrami on really good rye, you yeah. know, something you can really only get at a New York deli. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chicago's got Italian beef, which you can't really beat, but the one mm. – completely different but just any of those like flat sandwiches i don't even you know it's kind of uh sacrilege that i'm forgetting the name here but that you can get on the streets in florence those are just amazing mm. oh god um <laughs> it's not panzerotti but my mind is only providing me with mm-hmm. panzerotti which is not a sandwich it's like a like a portable little mini calzone but, yeah it's just one of those shops yeah. that noon every day is just a line out the door and yeah. it's amazing it's <laughs> just you know so and so's panini place and it's like exactly. he's the best he's the yeah. best <laughs> honorable mention to when you take two slices of pizza and you fold them and then you can eat it a little more cleanly <laughs> you don't sometimes just you gotta a be a slice of pizza in pizza in half so it's a little like easier to hold well topologically that's a taco and not a uh... shut up next question <laughs> i didn't tell you my sandwich <laughs> Uh, it's the pork and provolone from Denix with broccoli rabe on it. It's the best sandwich in Philly, and if you're getting anything else, you're wrong. I know that we're known for cheesesteaks, but that's roast pork. I'll die on that hill. Uh, all right, next question. This comes from Party1. To all, what's the most effort you've put into something simply out of spite? Ooh. Mm. Finishing that Greek class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got to be something school-related, doesn't it? Yeah. Probably my professor's telling me, you don't need this extra um, fifth model for your final review and i just build it anyway and still get an a so (laughs) that's good i had a i had a not very good art teacher for a while when i was little um and considering what i do for a living now (laughs) i think at least some of that was out of just pure like eight-year-old rage um Anyway. It is school stuff, isn't it? That, it's like, usually, that's well, the spite fountain. We don't really have nemeses outside of school. I mean, it's possible we'll get some later, but like, you know. I don't know if I would describe him as a nemesis, but I did amateur college radio in college. Uh, and we could, you could get time slots on the station every semester from 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. 
uh, every day. And you really wanted those middle of the day or like midweek evening time slots because you didn't want to have a time slot where you would have to be back in the studio at like midnight on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And you didn't want to wake up at six before 6 a.m. to go to the studio and sit there first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And every single semester, I got one of those two time slots. <laughs> but one, one year at the end of the year, they're having a party for the station. There's beer pong set up. It's a college party. Just picture it in your mind. I'm sure you can fill in the gaps. Uh, and I am awful at all, all similar games to beer pong. But the station admin was playing in the tournament. And me and my buddy from the show were up against him. And we're both awful. And we're like, hey, if we win this... <laughs> can we get a good time slot next year? He's like, yeah, no problem, man. I got you. Uh, And hail Mary. Uh, Nothing has ever been more like perfectly coordinated in my life. I will never be so successful at something I'm bad at again, but we did. We won. We managed to work our way up the bracket. We beat him. Wow. Um, The schedule comes out a few months later and I am at 6am on Tuesdays. (gasps) And I've After never, you believed in the heart of the I cards and everything. The cards. I don't know if that counts as being fueled by spite, but I remember being like, that was just the, the thing that comes to mind for me. Of like, I have never felt such pure rage. I don't know wow. if you can radio harder, really. <laughs> I mean, uh, we put on a good, good show, writing. but uh, wow. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure if he's out there, station admin uh, is probably completely forgotten. I assume like everyone else at that party may not have been in the soundest mind and body by the end of the tournament, but I've held this deep within ever since. <laughs> yeah, anyone else got any spite stories or are we? No, I think we're all about covered. <laughs> we're very non-spiteful people, it seems. Uh, this it's next just question... more efficient to let it go, you know? <laughs> yeah, just to move on. This next question comes from Juan Cena forty nine. If you what? could get any, uh, if you That's could so get fucking funny. focus, focus. <laughs> if you could Stay get Lego to make any Lego set, what would it be? Anything goes. So if you want to get an official set made, I realize we're asking this to a question to someone who <laughs> makes their own sets all the time, and they're very incredible. But Infinity Glove, I mean, fine, I'll do it myself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Anything I'd want, right? I would just make it myself. I don't know if that's. Uh... If I'm honestly the best person to ask, because like it's not necessarily coming from a Lego fan perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, had great interactions with the community, but I'm definitely to the extent that I monitor what's coming out. It's usually just like, oh, those bricks now come in this color, and ah. paying attention to that end of things. I mean, it's but, a medium that you work in as an artist. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah, different. yeah. It yeah. would be something else if it weren't Lego, to be honest. Yeah. Is there anything that you feel like is something that you would love to see represented in like a Lego medium, but is just too mm-hmm. complex or like just too much trouble for you to want to, to undertake it yourself? Like that's something where you'd be like, yeah, if someone else made that, it'd be really cool, but I don't want to touch it with like a 10 foot pole. Um, hmm. Yeah, there might be like some things well, for instance, one thing I was disappointed in last year is they came out with this uh, Great Pyramid of Giza set and it mm. all, it came in the typical little large slopes when I feel like the smaller ones they have would have been better to use if they had just sort of made a slightly new variation based on that same uh, dimension. And so I, for me, it's things like that. Like I look at something <laughs> and I'm like, the blocks don't look small enough. <laughs> and, uh, just detail oriented. But yeah, I suppose it, it's also a testament to like the creativity that you don't often have to make something completely new pieces for um, to make something you haven't done previously, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I um in a previous answer to this question, I've said that I'd love to see like a, a Notre Dame like architecture set in Lego because mm-hmm. I feel like it's the right 
kind of scale for what they've been doing lately. Like the Himeji Castle, like super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know love what they what they did with that. Um, but like a, a Notre Dame kind of thing would be like, oh, like that'd be really great. I think a lot of people would be interested in that. Probably sell pretty well. You wouldn't have to make it ridiculously overbuilt like their Coliseum, which like I was mm-hmm. I was very happy to have sponsored them. It was really, really cool, but I had to give it away to my like college core curriculum department (laughs) because I couldn't fit it anywhere in my house. (laughs) It was too big. It's wider than every shelf. You need a whole table for the thing. And like, I feel like they could do like a Notre Dame that's like roughly like actual shelf size, which is Mm Rairaco. I really like your Notre Dame and I wish they could just sell that. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's better if it's one of a kind, isn't it? And Mm. honestly, they're not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole because it's got some serious uh, obvious yeah. connotations. <laughs> uh, yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Special, hey, we put the spire back on, special edition. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, yeah, but if that's a niche I can fill, then I'll go yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. Red, you got a Lego set in mind? I think you've been jonesing for. No, I'm not a Lego kid. I'm committing, <laughs> like, I, I'm outing myself as the, the one person who's just, I, I just, it, it's not the right kind of monotonous rep- re- uh, repetitive action for me. It's not one of the ones that scratches the brain itch. Uh, and I never really understood the point of it. Uh, Cause it's one of those things where it's like, it's fun while you build it. And then afterwards, like what, what to do with to break it down <laughs> yeah. again, feels strange after spending all this time and effort, but what do I do with it? Uh, so I think the last time I remember trying to build something out of Lego, I wanted to see if I could make a, uh, like a little plane that would actually glide and it didn't. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, I I like it when things do stuff. Okay, I like it when they have points. (laughs) Yeah, I I come from the camp of inherited my mom and her brother's big old miscellaneous mixed up bin of broken up like Mm -hmm. old space sets and stuff that we would just like you'd build everything for an hour a day and then you break it down the yep. legos lived in a suitcase and we would take it down the shore with us so that we could open the suitcase and just have like oh the kids are occupied now <laughs> um school of legos i don't know if i've read similar i don't know if there's like a set that i'm missing maybe a really big house plant i do like the plant mm. sets a lot i would love to put a mm. just big old like parlor palm or something up but uh that might be prohibitively <laughs> sizing <laughs> Um, but we got more questions to get to. Uh, this one comes from Alex The. What is your favorite piece of architecture from fiction, including video games? So, favorite piece of fictional architecture. Ooh. Someone else go first. I'm going to have to think on this. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I... The interpretation of uh, of Asgard and the new God of War is pretty cool. I don't think that's my favorite, but that does come to mind. Um, hmm. I love a good ring world, you know, yeah. a classic sci-fi concept. I mean, it's it's one of those like bits of spec fic that is prohibitively impossible to ever make. Like it's only marginally more possible than a Dyson sphere, which is a whole different <laughs> scale of impossible. But I just love the concept. It's like one planet is fine, sure. But what if we just turned the entire orbit of this planet into a planet and spun it around? It's just so stupid. And I love it. And the only context I will accept it is if it's post-apocalyptic because something went horribly wrong. Because it's one of those things where you kind of got to spin it and have walls on the side to hold the air in because otherwise the gravity's all going the wrong way. So anyway, I just love it. It never goes well and it's always so crazy. Like that's the thing, like fictional <laughs> architecture can be bigger and more insane than anything in reality. And that's what we got to lean into, you know? 
Yeah, for me, it's got to be something along the lines of Erebor or Khazad-dûm in mm. Tolkien oh, yeah. mythos. Just yeah. uh, something about the platonic design of it and the flowing lines that work really well with building something that's obviously underground, but it does feel sort of ancient and like there could be a Balrog lurking behind any corner because it could have been there for tens of thousands of years. Who knows? Yeah. Also, just the idea of like just those huge archways and just pillars in the darkness. Yeah, they don't. It's just so spooky. And yeah, because mm-hmm. of doom, just it goes, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah. I um, there was some of the architecture in the uh the like the aerial shots of like I guess Gondor or something in in Rings of Power, um, yeah. where it's just like this is just a, a, a big height like fantasy Hagia Sophia. I'm like, That's cool as hell. Still yeah. not going to watch the show, but that's cool. <laughs> does, does Gondor even exist in the timeline of Rings of Power? I don't know which one it's it is. Numenor. It's one of them, Lord it's, of the Rings. Oh, cities. Numenor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was painful to sit through. Let's just put it that way. Oh, okay. Well, I think you're the first person I've met who's actually watched that show. <laughs> uh. I mean, I got to shout out. I, despite my crippling fear of heights, the immediate thing that came to mind was I think it'd be cool, like Cloud City in Star Wars. I just uh, think that that, that like, yeah. floating effect is neat. I'm hoping that by it being in clouds, I won't be constantly thinking about the real eminent danger of falling over the side. Oh, Rapture from Bioshock. I'm so fucking stupid. Oh. <laughs> On the great. subject of this is a terrible idea, but it's fun that it exists. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, this Beautiful. next question is probably going to be our last one for the pod before we head over to the After After Show show. Patrons, you know what's up. So uh, this question comes from Mega Bland Fox He Him, number 3715. And these Discord names are getting long. Uh, so I remembered the bit where sirens from Greek mythology lure folks who hear their song with any irresistible temptation, not just lust. So, and so I want to know what the OSP crew would hear from the siren song to tempt them. So... What if you are Odysseus tying yourself to the mast of the ship? What would you hear in the song of the sirens that would be oh so so tempting? I mean, just to clarify, in the Odyssey, Odysseus is tempted with knowledge of the future. That nobody was getting their mm. boobs out. He was just <laughs> he just really wanted to know what was going to happen next in his crazy fucking life. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be something innate, right? Mm. Like it's hard to know on that one without seriously thinking. I, the first thing that came to my mind was, can I answer for my wife and say fresh baked bread? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pizza in the oven. There you go. Yeah. Um. I wonder how many people it would work on if they were just like, come to us. We've got a great magic portal that'll lead you to a world of wondrous isekai adventures. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean... Hmm. <laughs> fresh baked bread is a pretty solid that's, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. if none of us can think <laughs> of anything else good. we can always just, just assume so, and be like, I'm thinking about it now and I'm like man it'd be really nice if I had a loaf of fresh baked bread <laughs> it's like should I after this instead of doing work should I make fresh baked bread <laughs> it takes so long it's like a, a, a Montiato, just come over here you got a whole a whole mm-hmm. cask of it <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I'm trying to think. My brain is completely blank. Trying to think of literally. We've got seven new seasons of that show you liked that got canceled before its time and started sucking in season four. (laughs) We we've started from exactly the point that you think it was last good. (laughs) (laughs) That would get me in a heartbeat. (laughs) 
we've gone back in time and completely origin destroyed the original two part movie, and now all movies are just their originals and their sequels. And <laughs> <laughs> cinema's forever changed. We have a DVD collector's edition of Speed Racer. It's just on the shelf back there. Yeah, it has new bonus features. It's we like have the a whole hour Mach of director interviews. <laughs> so I think we're all about to go crash and get some bread before the after after show show. Uh, I keep but trying if, to think of other things, but it loops back to the goddamn yeah. bread. I'm like, is there like some like Roman literature joke? Like, oh, here's the rest of Livy. It's like, nah, but bread. But bread would still the, would still take it. How about the rest of the Aeneid? I was like, like a like the version that Virgil finished writing in the underworld. Right. Yeah. We have a three-hour documentary featuring exquisitely rendered slow motion footage of the KT extinction event. You want to. Follow the panning shot as the, some of those little droplets of silicate go all the way to the moon. <laughs> this is well. like a calling back to like what my weirdest niche joke from like years ago where I was like, you know, if time travel were real, I would want the slow-mo guys to take their cameras back and just, you know, <laughs> slow-mo yeah. film the KT Extinction event. I want to see that meteor hit. I really want to see it. It would I be so be cool. There, but the footage would be... I mean, no, like, we just post up on the moon and film it from there. Like, you know, dodge a stegosaurus head that like lands in a crater next to us and then just move on. And no I think it would look cool. That's way, the kind of thing so. that Omnimax was made for. And I've never seen anyone do it. We and have then, the technology. And then the video they post the next week is like the first fish to step on land in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, with those various temptations, I think it is time for us to move on and get some hopefully fresh baked bread of our own, since that seems like a very achievable goal that we've all set for ourselves. Yeah, all right, check yeah, back in in six sirens. hours. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Red, why don't you take us out, huh? Uh, sure, yeah. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another uh, exciting episode of the OzPod. Uh, tune in on Friday for a video that's... A yes. video. Yeah. A video. One of mine. Uh, <laughs> one of yours. Yes, I remember now. Sorry. It's been oh, it's been like a week, but it's been like a week for like the last three months. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, check out the um, uh, merch store that we're launching on Friday. Yep. <laughs> check out our very special guest uh, and his assorted social media platforms where you can see his extremely exciting Lego project. And if that's everything we needed to cover, then until that's all the next announcements. time. Sounds got it in one. I've uh, been red. I've been blue. And Rocco, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thanks yeah. for having me. Of course. And this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on September 13th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and our guest Rocco's content can be found in the show notes below.